invite you to turn with me in your Bible to the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth, chapter 2. And kids, if your parents are okay with it, there is a, a related coloring sheet back on the chair by the sound table. It's just for the kids, though, okay? So no one else grab those. All right, this is our second time together in the book of Ruth. And I hope you noticed maybe today as Brian was reading that all of the events in the story of Ruth happened during the time of the judges, that period of time between the death of Joshua and the anointing of King Saul, one of the darkest time periods in Israel's history. The story of Ruth follows one Israelite family as they escape death under famine by leaving Israel and fleeing to Moab, uh, but death finds them there. And the father and his two sons perish during their time in Moab, leaving destitute the mother Naomi and her two Moabite daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. And so when crops in Israel begin to grow again, the famine is lifted. Naomi plans to return herself back to Israel, and she does not want her daughters-in-law to go with her because she knows, is convinced, that God is against her. Ruth, however, one of her daughter-in-laws, rejects this advice and insists on going with her. She, she leaves behind her family in Moab, her gods in Moab, and she gives herself for Naomi's good and returns with her to Israel, trusting in Naomi's God. When we finish chapter 1, Naomi and Ruth had just made it back to Israel, back to the city of Bethlehem, and uh, we got to hear Naomi talk about how she was thinking about what had happened to her, how God had had, how she had left Bethlehem full, she said, and God had brought her back empty. No one seemed to notice God's kindness to Naomi in Ruth standing right next to her. And so let's pick up the story in Ruth chapter 2. Now kids, kids, how many of you like secrets? If you're a kid, do you like, like secrets? Okay, all right. Isn't it fun to know something that no one else knows or just a few other people know? Okay, I have a secret I want to share with you all this morning, but you have to promise that you don't tell anybody else, okay? All right, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something in our story that not everybody in the story knows, and so it's a secret. Okay, look at verse 1, kids. Here's the secret. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So kids, here's the secret. This is, what, this is what Ruth in our story does not know. Okay? The secret is that Boaz is related to Naomi and Ruth. Okay? Boaz is related to Naomi and Ruth. Okay? Can you remember that? Okay? That's our secret. Don't tell anybody. Okay? So you see, <clears throat> Naomi has family in Israel. There's a relative named Boaz on Elimelech's side uh, of the family, and he, he's a worthy man. Naomi knows about him, but apparently as she has made her plans to go back to Israel, back to Bethlehem, she has not been counting on anything from him. And Ruth, of course, knows nothing about Boaz. As far as Ruth knows, she and Naomi are as alone as Naomi has told her. But verse 1 makes it clear that they are not alone or as alone as they thought. Okay, verse 2. Kids, don't tell anybody what Ruth doesn't know. Okay, we've got to keep that secret for a while. Verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, 
Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she, Naomi, said to her, Go, my daughter. So she, Ruth, set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So Naomi and Ruth are back in Bethlehem, and they have to figure out the basics, right? How are they going to eat? What are they going to eat? They've got to meet their own needs. And fortunately, they, they came back to Bethlehem at just the right time, right? It is time for the barley harvest. And so Ruth suggests, hey, why don't I go out and start gathering barley from the barley fields? Now, you have to think about this. What, what is Ruth expecting to happen when she goes into the fields? Okay? Is she expecting to have to kind of sneak into the field and steal some barley off the crops. Like, is that what she's planning to do? Okay. If, you, if you've read much of the Old Testament, perhaps you know that the poor in Israel were allowed to go through the fields after they have been harvested and, and could pick along the edges and in the corners. Okay. And this is made explicit in the book of Leviticus. So I'm going to ask you to turn over there today to Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19. I want you to see this. In some of your Bibles, you'll see this section, Leviticus 19, verse 9, is actually entitled, Love Your Neighbor as Yourself. That's what it's called. Okay, not in every Bible, but some of them. All right, look at Leviticus 19, verse 9. The Lord says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. So you see, one of the ways that God provided for the poor in Israel was by calling his people to, to love their neighbors by letting the poor work in their fields after those fields have already been harvested. And so God says to the landowners, he's like, don't make sure to get every single last piece of grain or wheat. And, and don't make sure to pick up every single grape. Don't try to squeeze every single drop out of your harvest. Okay? Trust me, leave some for the poor. I am your God. Okay? So turn back to Ruth 2. Back to Ruth 2. Now, for some reason, dis despite the fact that this is God's command for his people, Ruth doesn't seem super confident that someone's going to let her do this. Okay? She seems skeptical. She's, she's hoping that someone will show her favor. And you have to wonder why that is. Perhaps, perhaps she thinks that's unlikely because there's not a lot of Israelite landowners in the days of the judges that cared much for doing what God commands. Okay? That could be. It's, this is a very dark time spiritually for Israel. But she also might be less confident that someone would let her do this. Why? Because of, because of who she is. She's a foreigner. She's from Moab and not well accepted or well liked in Israel. But Ruth goes out to the fields anyway. And big surprise, guess who feel, whose field she happens to walk into. Okay? That's right. She goes into the field of Boaz. But remember, kids, she doesn't know anything about Boaz, has no idea who he is, this is just another field. So after everything that went wrong for Naomi and Ruth in chapter 1, something is going right. We still don't know that much about Boaz. Uh, at this point, we only know that he's a, he's a worthy man, and so we're wondering what's going to happen when Boaz sees this Moabite widow gleaning in his field. What will he do? Look at verse 4. 
And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. So the first thing that we learn about Boaz is how he greets his workers. This exchange of the Lord be with you, the Lord bless you. Okay. Now, it's true that in our culture, there are a lot of people that say things like, God bless you, and they mean almost nothing by it. It's just this empty phrase. Okay? But if, if this greeting is meaningless, and it's not supposed to tell us anything about Boaz, then why include it in the text? Okay? It is here because it tells us something. It's beginning to shape our understanding of Boaz's character. He is a godly Israelite and landowner in Israel who cares for his workers and who is respected by those who work for him. Verse 5. Verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So apparently Boaz comes late to the field that day. He looks across his field and he sees someone he does not recognize. And so he's like, who is who is this? Who is the provider for this woman? Who's, who's her father, her brother, her husband? Who's taking care of her? Who does she have to protect her? And the supervisor kind of recounts his interaction with her. The, earlier in the day, she'd come to the field, asked if she could glean. He said, sure, and she's been working hard ever since. Now, it's hard to imagine that Boaz didn't already know about Naomi and Ruth. If you remember, when they returned in chapter 1, they sent Bethlehem into just this, just this craziness over their return. I can't think of the right word there, okay? But they were so excited, the news of them had spread quickly. So I think it's very likely that Boaz knows who Naomi and Ruth are, okay? But apparently he has not met Ruth yet. He's never seen her, okay? He's heard about her, but not met her. So what does Boaz do when he sees this poor widow from Moab harvesting barley in his field, and he knows that he's related to her. Verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So what does, what does Boaz want to do? What does he do for this woman who has no provider, no protector? He he steps into that role, and he tells her that he wants her to come to his field exclusively. He wants, her to, he wants her to depend upon him. He wants to be the one to care for her needs and to provide food for her. But also, in addition to food and water, he also provides for her security. Okay? He warns his workers not to touch Ruth. Remember, this is the era of the judges. We spent time in Judges 19. 20 and 21. We know the kind of sexual violence that was normal for this period. And so Boaz says, do not touch that woman, Ruth, in my fields. Now look at Ruth's response. Verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? So Ruth is just shocked, flabbergasted, as it were, at how she is being treated by Boaz. And remember, kids, Ruth 
still doesn't know our secret. Okay? She has no idea who Boaz is. Okay? You know more at this point about Boaz than Ruth does. What Ruth does know is that she's an outsider. She's a foreigner. She's not an Israelite. And so this kind of generosity is not at all what she expected when she left the house leaving Naomi earlier that morning. Uh, she knows that she doesn't belong. She feels that. And yet this man is treating her like she does belong in Israel and even, even better than that. And so Ruth's question makes sense. Like, what in the world are you doing? Why are you treating me so well? Look at verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. So why has, why has Boaz been so generous toward Ruth? Okay. If you know the end of Ruth's story, maybe you're thinking, well, because he loves her, right? Maybe you're thinking it was, it was love at first sight in the barley field. Right? That's how it happened. Okay. But that's not what he says. That's not what he says. The text never mentions her appearance, only her character. Boaz has been generous toward Ruth because he knows what she did for her mother-in-law. After the death of her husband, she, she gave herself to take care of her. He recognized that it was a significant step of faith to leave everything that, was, everything that felt safe and normal, like her mom and dad, her, her homeland, and left all of that to go to a country she did not know. And Boaz wants to see that she is well cared for. But he doesn't stop there. Okay? He knows what he can do for Ruth, but he wants more to be done for her. Look at verse 12. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Under his wings you have come to take refuge. So what Boaz has done for her, what, what he can do for her in his mind is not enough. It's not enough. He wants the Lord to give her a full reward. Now, what is a full reward to Boaz? He's probably thinking of something like just financial and social stability in Israel, and yet what he does not know, and what he will never know in his lifetime, is what God is going to do for Ruth. Okay? In fact, from her descendants would come the two greatest kings in all of Israel's history. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay? We're in Ruth 2. We have to stay focused here. Okay? Now be careful. Boaz is not saying that Ruth has like, earned God's favor. Like He has to repay her. He's indebted to her. He simply knows that God blesses those who trust him. And he is convinced of Ruth's faith in God because of what she's done for Naomi. Think about it. In the context, back in Moab, when she was there with Naomi and her family, Naomi gave her no reason to trust the Lord. Okay? Naomi is trying to convince her not to trust the Lord and to stay back in Moab. And then as Ruth just looked at Naomi's life, her life was not enviable, right? Here she was, an elderly woman. Her husband has died. Her two sons have died. Does that make her God really like, wow, I want to worship that woman's God? Okay? But no, Ruth turns from Moab, turns from her idols, and she follows with, with Naomi to take care of her, putting her trust in Naomi's God. Boaz knows that this faith brings glory to God, and so he wants the Lord to bless her abundantly. Now, there might be another reason that Boaz is so ready to show this unexpected kindness to this foreign woman. Of course, I, I always want to emphasize what the text here says explicitly as the reason for his kindness. But we also shouldn't forget that Ruth is not the first foreign woman 
to turn from her idols, turn to faith in God, and be welcomed into Israel. Okay? Kids, where are you kids? All right. Who can remember the other woman in the Old Testament who turned from her idols, turned to the Lord? She is the woman that hid Joshua's spies in Israel, or, or from Israel, hid them in Jericho, and then her family was spared because of her faith, and she was brought into Israel. Does anybody know? The girl? Kids? Anybody? Nesha, what is it? Rahab, that's right. Okay, now, so Rahab is another example of a woman who did a very similar thing to what Ruth did. Okay, and did you know that according to the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1, Boaz is a descendant of Rahab. Okay? And so it could be that Boaz is very much aware of his own family's history, so that his heart would have already been bent toward being kind to a foreign woman who was trying to find her way in Israel. Perhaps he was treating Ruth the way he would have wanted someone to treat his ancestor Rahab when she had come to Israel many years before. Well, regardless, verses 14 through 17 give us the rest of what happened that day. Not surprisingly, Boaz keeps finding little ways and big ways to be kinder and kinder to Ruth. Look at verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. I don't know what this looked like. Okay? Was, was Ruth sitting over by herself on the edge of the field? And Boaz is like, hey, come over here and join us. Is that how it went down? I don't know. But you can see just the kindness that he shows her by letting her join in the meal that was prepared for his workers. Look at the rest of verse 14. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. So what Boaz gave her at the meal was more than she could finish. He was so generous that she had leftovers. And remember, she has been working hard all morning long. So there's been all this exertion. Her body is hungry, needs nutrients, and she can't finish what he's given to her. She needs one of those little white to-go boxes, take home what she's got left. Verse 15, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So now Boaz, his kindness continues, he makes it even easier for her to get the food that she needs, and he removes any fear that she might be rejected or turned away from the field. He says to his workers, do not push her away, let her glean. Verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. So at the end of the day, Ruth finishes her work in the field with an ephah of barley. And depending on how you calculate that, that could be anywhere from like 29 pounds to 50 pounds okay, that she has harvested. And it could have been enough perhaps to feed her and Naomi for just over a week. So she walks home that day after a day's work with a week's worth of groceries. That's a lot of food for only a day's work. But it's all because Boaz has been so kind to her all day long. Verse 18. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So Ruth comes home from a long, hard, and wonderful day in the fields, and she's got this whole ephah of barley and her to-go box, right? And she shares that, all of it, with her mother-in-law. Verse 19. And her mother-in-law said to her, 
where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And so out comes this amazing story about this amazing man who was so unexpectedly kind to her. And then Ruth finally reveals his name, Boaz. Now remember, kids, does Ruth know our secret yet? She doesn't know. She has no idea still who Boaz is. Okay? And finally, right here at the end of the day, just before she goes to sleep, Ruth finds out what happened that day. Verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So here finally, Ruth learns the amazing coincidence that it was that she found herself that day in the field of Boaz. She's actually related to the guy who has been so kind to her all day long. And look at what Naomi says. She wishes that Boaz would be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, whose kindness is Naomi talking about? Okay. Maybe it seems obvious to you, but it's not. It's actually not super clear from the text who she's talking about. There are good arguments that she's thinking of Boaz's actions of kindness to the living and to the, to the dead, to Naomi and Ruth and to their dead husbands. But it could also be that she's thinking of God's kindness to them, to the living and to the dead. Both actually work very well in this story. But it's also hard, the more you try to separate them, it's also hard to see how they can be separated. Remember, in chapter 1, Naomi was convinced, very convinced, that God was behind every hard thing that happened to her. That was one of her bedrock convictions, that this is the Lord's doing. And so certainly here today, as she thinks about all the kindness that Ruth has received at Boaz's hand, she knows this is also from the hand of the Lord. God's kindness to her family in Boaz's kindness to Ruth. They are one and the same. But Boaz isn't just a, a nice guy who happens to be related to Naomi and Ruth. Noah, uh, Naomi tells us that he is a close relative, a redeemer of theirs, one of their redeemers. And I want to say more about the Redeemer like in later times that we look at Ruth together. But I want to just start to kind of develop the picture of what a Redeemer is. To be a Redeemer in Israel was to perform a duty for someone in your family because you were one of their closest relatives. For example, if, if a man in your family became poor and had to sell off a piece of his property, you could, you could buy that piece of property back or redeem it back for that person. Or if someone in your family became born and had to, had to sell themselves into slavery, you could buy them back, you could redeem them back out of slavery. You could deliver them from death and destitution back to life and restoration. And there's at least one more duty of the Redeemer, it seems. Okay? If a married man dies without a son, the dead, you've got to follow this, think about me. If a married man dies without a son, the dead husband's brother would marry the widow and the first son born to that marriage would carry on the name of the dead husband. This is called Leverite marriage. We talked about it last time. You can read about it in Deuteronomy 25. But to be clear, that, that legislation in Deuteronomy 25 
never mentions like redeem or closest relative or redeemer, nothing like that. Okay? And so it's not explicit that the redeemer is also someone who does this kind of Leverite marriage. And yet if you read the book of Ruth, that seems to be the case, that they go together. Like the redeemer, the man of a, a Leverite marriage would bring again restoration to where there had been destitution. So no doubt, you can think about all this is, is flooding through Naomi's mind as she hears where her, da- her daughter-in-law has been all day long. She hears about the kindness that she has received, and this is all just flooding her mind. And so at the very least, Naomi's excited that Boaz will probably be the way they are saved from destitution. But at most, Naomi's excited because maybe Boaz will actually marry Ruth. All right, verse 21. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So Naomi's situation now appears a lot better than it did at the end of chapter 1. She can see a potential path to restoration, a path out of this destitution, and it's going to be through Boaz. And so she encourages Ruth, hey, this is a great idea. You need to take him up on his offer, go back in his field, and only his field. And so that's what happens. Throughout the rest of the barley and the wheat harvests, she's in Boaz's field gathering food for herself and Naomi. Now, what happens after that? Does Boaz marry Ruth? We have to keep reading the story. Okay, but that's not today. For now, we have to decide what to do or figure out what to do with this part of the story. Okay, what do we do with Ruth chapter 2? So I want to start by asking the question, this is always a great question to ask anytime you're reading an Old Testament narrative, where is God in the story? Okay, if you don't do that when you read a story of the Bible, that needs to be your new go-to question. Where is God in the story? Where is God in Ruth 2? We actually didn't get very far in Ruth 2, before we saw him, okay? But you got to know where to look, okay? Remember, Ruth goes out to the fields, hoping, trusting that someone is going to show her some favor, okay? And look what the text says. Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, does the author of this story about God, is, is the point of this era, of this statement, that, that we're supposed to think Ruth got lucky, that she ended up in Boaz's field. Are we supposed to say, wow, I'm so glad that she got so lucky that day in the field? No, the the point that this author is trying to show us is that God guided Ruth to the field where he wanted her to be. We can't attribute this to her own wisdom. She knew nothing about Boaz at that time. There was no miraculous direction from the Lord, and yet it was a miracle that she showed up at this field. She showed up at the field that belonged to the only person in Israel who had both the desire and the duty to be kind to her. And I hope that encourages you for a couple reasons. I hope, first of all, you see that Ruth was just a normal person. One of the things I love about the story of Ruth is that there are no big people. What I mean by that is there's no patriarchs, there's no prophets, there's no judges, there's no kings, there's just normal people. And in the lives of normal people, like you and me, because I'm one of those two, God is at work to bring about his plan. 
But I also want you to notice the way that God works in Ruth's life. Perhaps you ever thought something like this. God's people in the Old Testament were lucky. He, he was always directing them with these prophetic words or these visions or these miraculous signs, and I wish God would do that for me. Okay? We probably all had this thought at some point or another. But, but did God always do that? Did he really always do that? He didn't do it here, right? In this story, God's direction for Ruth wasn't flashy. It was normal life. But God was at work directing this woman in the path that he had for her because she was trusting him. And think about this. Ruth wouldn't even have realized it as it was happening, as she makes her field, makes her way through the fields and chooses one. Okay? And she does so before the owner of that field even shows up. But then later at the end of the day, Ruth could have, as she, after she talked to Naomi, she could have looked back just like we're doing now and said, wow, look at what God did to bring me to that field. Okay? This is the normal life of someone who is trusting the Lord. In the middle of it, we can feel like God isn't directing us. But we move forward, trusting the Lord, depending upon the wisdom of his word and the advice of godly counselors. And when we look back, maybe at the end of the day, the end of the week, the end of the year, the end of the decade, you'll see it. You'll see it. You'll see God's kind hand leading even in the even in the thousands of small decisions that in our minds we never actually raise to, I need to trust God for this, God leads us even in those. And I was witness to this yesterday at the wedding of Tony and Valerie. Valerie's sister got up as the maid of honor to share some memories of Valerie with us last night. And she mentioned that Valerie had made a, a number of choices about not moving to this place, but rather to go to Minnesota and then choosing to, to, to join Richville Bible Church. And then her sister made this observation at the end. She said, she said looking back, she said, I, could, I can see God's hand in all of these things. This is the normal life of someone who is trusting the Lord. Just because we don't see the kind of signs or miraculous guidance that we read of so often in Scripture doesn't mean that God is not at work in our lives, guiding us and helping us on the path that he's planned for us. But there's something else, or, or someone else, that we're supposed to notice. Okay? You can't read Ruth 2 without noticing who. Who is it? Boaz. Okay? You can't read Ruth 2 without being like, wow, Boaz is amazing. I mean, the chapter starts with this side note, this secret note about who Boaz is before we've even met the guy. Okay? And then all along the way, as we get to know him, we see more and more of his character, and it just gets better and better and better. And so it's, it's even hard to believe. It's kind of surprising. Like, does a guy like this really exist in the time of the judges, right? And even in the whole Bible, there's, anytime we get this close to a character in the Bible, we get to see their flaws, right? And there's just nothing negative said about Boaz. He reaches for the outcast. He provides generously for the needy. He protects the vulnerable. He welcomes the nations into God's people. But then the question is, what is the point of impressing us with Boaz? Okay, what's the point? Should we want to become more like Boaz? Wouldn't be a bad thing, right? But don't forget what makes Boaz's character so impressive and so admirable. It's that his character reflects the character of God. 
In Boaz, we see the glory of God who brings life and restoration when there is death and destitution. God did this for Israel when he redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt. And God called his people to step into this same work by giving them the opportunity to redeem their family members when they faced death and destitution. And now Boaz has begun to do this for Ruth and Naomi. And if he ends up being their redeemer, listen to this, if he ends up being their redeemer, which he does, he will be the only human redeemer in the entire Old Testament that we know of. None of them are, no one ever does this that we're told about. It's just God and Boaz, which sets him apart in demonstrating the heart of our God to bring about life and restoration when there is death and destitution. And we will see again this generous heart of God to redeem the weak, the outcast, the nations, when the eternal Son of God takes on flesh. Like Boaz, Jesus did not withhold himself and his kindness from the Samaritan woman, the tax collector, the demon-possessed, the Gentiles, the woman with the issue of blood, the beggar, the leper, and the hungry. But there was something even better about Jesus because he promised bread and water that never leaves you hungry again. He offered himself and paid the ultimate price on the cross to redeem us from spiritual death and destitution and has brought us to life through his resurrection, to, to life and restoration. He is the redeemer that we need. So as we finish this morning, I want to ask one more question. There's one we already asked before, and that is this. Should we want to become more like Boaz? Okay. The answer is yes, but only because our real goal is to be like Jesus, who loves us in our need. And Boaz, maybe better than almost anyone else in the scriptures, shows us what that looks like, to love our neighbors and our families in their weakness. And we love what Boaz did for Ruth. We watch it. We read the story. It's like, wow, that's awesome. It's beautiful. And it's one thing to appreciate when someone else displays the beauty of God's love for the needy. It's another thing to be the one who gives of themselves to show that love. But by God's grace, the beautiful love of God can be characteristic of our lives as well. If you've turned from your sin and trusted in Christ this morning, then Jesus has already rescued you from the kind of heart that makes excuses about why you can't show love to other people. He's given you a new heart and the grace to obey his commands, to love God and to love others as yourself. Jesus has loved you and already met the deepest needs that you have. Perhaps you're thinking, though, wait a second, I, I'm not like Boaz. I don't have tons of money, nor do I have fields for people to glean in. Right? But that's okay, because the needy don't always need money. And even those with great money have great needs that their money can never meet. But you can, we can, with our friendship, our hospitality, our prayers, our time, our kindness, and our gospel proclamation. We need to fight against the, the pool to only love the people who help us accomplish our goals or the people that are easy to love, the people that we like to love. We also must not overlook the needs in our own family, within the four walls of our homes. And we must not assume that the nice-looking person sitting near us this morning has no needs. There is no one here like that. 
Get to know the people you see here every week. Learn your neighbors' names. Figure out what their needs are. And then by God's grace, meet them. Love them like Jesus does. And kids, you need to trust Jesus for help in this as well. Maybe there's a kid in your neighborhood who just doesn't have a lot of friends. Or maybe a kid this fall at school you'll meet that doesn't have friends. Or maybe you have a sister who needs you to forgive her every day. Every day she needs that. And you get the opportunity to love her like Jesus, to show her what it looks like to love like Jesus. This is what our Savior has called us to. He told us the parable of the Good Samaritan, and then he said, go and do likewise. And so by his grace and for his glory, let's embrace the opportunity that has been passed now to us to love others like Boaz did in their death and restitution, that we might be God's means to bring to those people his life and restoration. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for this short story that you and your wisdom gave us in your word. Thank you for the opportunity to glory in uh, what you have done for us through Jesus and this amazing demonstration of your kindness and your mercy in the life of this Old Testament saint who was trusting in you. I pray that you would give us strength this week to love our neighbors, to love those in our family, and to be willing to give of ourselves to meet their needs, that they might know you better, they might know the love of Christ, that you might continue to grow us and grow them. We pray these things in your name. Amen.